Welcome to On the I'm your host, I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at the Monster Hospital. And we're joined, lucky, by Ali McBride. Uh, Ali, welcome to the pod. Well, thank you so much, John, for having me on board. This is my you know, long time listener, first time caller. So looking forward to our discussion today. All right, so, so um, introduce us to the audience. Um, I, I know most recently you were, you were working uh, at the Arizona Cancer Center and, and have done a lot of um, uh, work there. You are a PGY2 program director. So tell us a little bit about your, um, your background and uh, what you're doing now. So, no, so thank you very much for having me on board. I really appreciate it. So prior to, to moving to industry, I actually worked at the University of Arizona Cancer Center for about eight years. And I served as the clinical coordinator for hematology, oncology, and fusion center services. And also in addition, I served as the RPD and student liaison as well. So I was able to bring in a lot of students into oncology. I was able to help with a great amount of preceptors um, at the U of A to develop the residency program there as well. So very lucky and fortunate to have those abilities and also obligations to our students as well for learning about oncology. All right, and we're going to talk about same-day pancreastic. Popular topic. Uh, it's been requested uh, by you and others. So, um, so um, tell us the talking pancreastic. So tell us, you know, you've got the syringe, you've got the on-body injector. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think you're right. So, you know, a lot of our discussion, and we I probably requested to talk about this two years ago. So we're or maybe a year ago. So we're, I, I finally got on board. So we'll go from there. But you know, this has been a, a great piece of the puzzle uh, for many years. We have seen this discussion about same-day peg filbrastin. We have seen the emergence of OBI because of concerns about utilization of same-day and also even payer restrictions. So the discussion on biosimilar implementation here has really come about because there isn't an OBI yet at this point. There probably will be in the near future, but there is no OBI yet. So we have seen a lot of discussion in areas where there's rural patients who can't come back and forth, you know, could would have to come back and stay at a hotel. So really the, the overall discussion has been, you know, what is the premise behind same day? Uh, where did this evolution of 24 to 72 hours come from? You know, and where is the data coming from now, which is probably the reason why I wanted to chat last year and also, you know, follow up on our paper this year that we did with some of our students at the U of A as well. Yeah, so the on-body injector, that's the, that's the, the patch that and, um, delivers the injection 27 hours later. Uh, you got the syringe that you give that day. So the, uh, or the day after, you know, within that 24 to 72 hour window is what the pegful grass and label says, which we all are, are well-versed in. And that rationale is that if you give GCSF on the same day as chemo, you're going to be revving up that bone marrow and increasing the, the, the myeloid and the, the granulocyte precursors. And then chemo is in there. And what does chemo kill? Rapidly dividing cells. And I, what, what I was I have not done a deep dive on this uh, in, in many years and actually found um, a, a paper from some folks at NCI who are doing bolus uh, 5-FU for colon cancer. And they, they're like, hmm, you know, anecdotally, we found that if you give GCSF, it decreases mucositis. Let's do that. And we'll start the day before chemo. So it's in the system. And they saw high rates of, of neutropenia. 
Um, Amgen's got their, their data. They've done these four studies. There's a breast study, uh, a lymphoma study, ovarian study, a lung study. And really the, the lymphoma study maybe is the more important because we use CHOP still, whereas those other regimens are a little outdated for what we use. Um, and, you know, they show, you know, a clear trend towards more neutropenia. You give it the same day versus the next day. They did these studies in the early 2000s. Uh, they roll out the on-body injector. The label says 24 hours later. Our favorite guidelines recommend 24 hours later. So, so why should we consider same-day pegfulgrastin? Why do you think we should consider same-day pegfulgrastin? Oh, hold on. I got you. Yeah, I got uh, some feedback. Go ahead. No, so you, you have a great question there, and that's it, it's multifactorial in its development. So initially, when they did a lot of cell culture studies, and I think these were done with ovarian, I have to go back and double check with you. I would go, go double check the information on this, but the actual information was based off of short acting growth factor. And with in vitro cells, they had found there's an increased risk of cancer development, right? Because you're kind of replicating, even though it's not myeloid based, you're replicating those tumor cells to divide potentially. So there was this potential um, data that had shown in vitro that you have an increased risk of tumor progression or tumor cell development. Again, in vitro based data. Thus far, we haven't seen anything um, published. I have not seen any literature on this. Again, there may be things I'm lacking from this perspective, always open to discussion. So that area, that 24 to 72 hours, really developed from that short acting area of utilization. But with that, we had seen some follow-on studies with the long-acting peg grass and with the originator product, right, our, our actual Nulasa here, which had been developed to look at same day versus next day. And I think that's the Burris study, which was published back in 2010 in uh, JOP, if I'm not mistaken, which is a JCO article. And what they had done is they had looked at four different disease states, and those disease states included breast cancer, non-small cell lung cancer, non-small, or sorry, NHL, non-Hodgkin lymphoma with RCHOP therapy, and also ovarian cancer. What was interesting was when they looked at this, the FN risk was not increased in there, but they found an engraftment issue where there was delay in engraftment, but only in the non-small cell and also the breast cancer patient population. So one was almost two days, one was 0.9 days. But yet with the breast cancer regimen, and I'm sorry, with the lung cancer regimen and ovarian cancer regimen, there was no difference. So that prospective study talked about delayed engraftment, but only with two of those disease states with no increased risk in FN in regards to that. So there was a discussion on that that came about from a few of my papers on this area when I was at the University of Arizona, really kind of delving into this. We had seen it with John Ekstrom's paper in colorectal cancer, which is the first paper to be published on that with multi-day chemotherapy, showing no difference between the historical control on that for FN risk and neutropenia risk. And then, you know, with several other papers, we have, you know, a lot of students who are finishing this up as well as residents, where they had also shown recently um, a paper that was just published that was worked on with Trace Bartels and Logan Moore, where we had found no risk with bendamustine rituximab being given on a multi-day chemo regimen with FN. So that was also shown and published at ASH and a follow-on paper with that. And then recently our RCHOP paper with RCHOP itself showing an actual similar FN risk as next day. And our patient population was much higher 
on close to 100 patients. So really, we had shown no delay in engraftment. Again, we use a surrogate endpoint of delays in chemotherapy because we couldn't do the same CBCs that were done in the Burris study. Again, again, that's based on practice, not really doing studies um, or CBC counts all the time. And then our FN risk was very low in this. Actually, there's been papers from Cleveland Clinic that was done with Mark Earl um, at the time, which showed, again, a lower incidence than, than normal. Uh, but also our FN rates were also very low too with RCHOP. And this was without prophylaxis. And what we do in these cases, we give the Nulasta about 15 minutes after completion of chemotherapy too. Okay. So, the, you know, when you talk, when you say engraftment, are you, do you mean time to after the nadir, time to nadir recovery? And you're nodding your head. Yes. That's what you mean by engraftment. So we're not talking about bone marrow transplant. I just wanted to, to clarify that. Um, too. So I, I use engraftment. So I should say it's length of neutropenia. So yes, that's, that's the old bone marrow transplant pharmacist talk to you. So my fault, John. Okay. So, um, you know, the, the rates of febrile neutropenia after RCHOP for your younger folks, probably not too much. You're over 65 folks. You know, they're above that 20% where, where we give it to everybody. So um, now the, those studies from Amgen, like that Burris study, you know, they're, I think that the, they, they published this thing in uh, 2015, 2016 in cancer chemotherapy, where they went back to those four studies and they, they do this thing. They invent, I think, a term called AOC. They call it area over the curve, where they're basically looking at um, if you plot the, uh, the average uh, ANC count of same day, next day, they're talking about the difference between the same day and the next day. And there's a small difference where the same day peg full grafton had lower ANC. Um, but they do say, because they don't find statistically significant differences of febrile neutropenia, but they do say we're like 30% powered to detect a six, to detect, you know, a one third risk. So, so febrile neutropenia, uh, thankfully these days are, is not that common with same day or next day. So, so where I come down on this, I think, I think I'm like 80%, 75% confident that same day peg fulgrassum does carry a higher risk of febrile neutropenia. But I, I think that, but it's not a huge risk. It's a small risk. And certainly I would rather a patient get peg fulgrassum the same day versus not coming back the next day at all. And we do have those patients getting, you know, carboetoposide, uh, that live an hour and a half away and they're coming three days and well, you got to come back a fourth day, um, you know, if we didn't have the OBI. So I know there's some, some of these issues. So um, I'll let you rebut that. And then I've got a couple uh, reimbursement questions for you. No, that's, that's great. And this is, I think this is a great discussion, right? This is based on the data that we had provided at U of A. So for us, I, I would probably counter that. I think A, it's unknown. I think there's a prospective study that needs to be done looking at this, but it needs to be detailed out by first line of chemo. So the first cycle uh, with that chemo regimen. So that was where with our FN risk in our RCHOP study that was recently published from U of A, that actually showed no difference in FN risk on first cycle and then follow on cycles. Because again, we have to have that detailed information based on regimen only. That's where we're missing out. So this is, we provided general guidelines for everything, but with the new COVID guidelines, you're now able to give growth factor between 10 and 20%, right? So that allowed increased utilization to prevent patients from going into the hospital. 
So I think there needs to be a few things detailed out. It should be chemotherapy regimen first. What is the chemotherapy regimen being looked at? Needs to be FN risk. That's the second piece. And then it needs to look at multi-day versus next day. Or sorry, single day. So multi-day versus single day is where the other important component comes from too. Yeah, we're, we're being a little, we're trying to, because of, you know, we try to do these small podcasts, we're trying to take everything and condense it down. Uh, and we're, you know, kind of oversimplifying this. This really merits like a one hour de- pro con debate at a, at, a, at a national meeting to really get into the data. So I want to transition here with what our favorite guidelines say, which is, quote, there are data for and against same day dosing. Uh, but the FDA approved dosing schedule is still recommended, which to, is to give pegfulgrass some 24 hours later. So let's say you have a discussion at your practice site. Like, I think we're going to do some Sunday pegfulgrass. You know, I have heard anecdotally, there are some, some payers who will not pay for same day because of the label. So if you wanted to move that direction institutionally, how do you, what do you do to help not lose that reimbursement? No, so that is, let's see here. That is the biggest question. So how did U of A get around this? So U of A has some great administrators um, back early on in like 2010. And what they did is they actually had an audit and there was a discussion about this. So with the data that was presented at that time, they overturned the audit with the payer. And in Arizona, under Neridian, which is our local MAC, in the Neridian, you can go in and sell if someone wants to take a look. Just type in Neridian same-day peg filgrastum. It allows for same-day peg filgrastum in the insurance coverage. So that was how the University of Arizona was able to overturn that and therefore utilize same-day peg filgrastum because in the South eastern region of Arizona, we had a very large rural patient population driving three to four hours. So for many sites across the country, before biosimilar implementation, this was a big conversation, and I'm sure you've heard it. Um, you know, Many people have talked about it. They have to actually even note when that patient completed chemotherapy. Um, so we were able to get around that early on. So most of our studies, there was actually no issues with payer or insurances when it was given, um, again, from this perspective. So that's how we're able to get around it. So this, so we're probably a unicorn in this. I hate to use that word in a discussion, but that's how we're able to get around this overall reimbursement piece. But I think there has been lots of discussions going on because with biosimilars, if there's a preferred biosimilar, you don't have OBI. So for many practices, I know uh, at U of A, I was contacted probably by 20 or 30 practices about the how-to. And then when I went through how this actually went through, they have looked at my papers and really tried to utilize this at their practice because it really changed this whole discussion on biosimilar implementation. Didn't give you the full answer, John, but that's how we got around it um, early on from the payer perspective, but it's still an issue today um, as well. Yeah, th- uh, thanks, Ali. Because I, I was thinking, um, you know, if you're like me and you're kind of risk averse by nature, well, if they're data for against, just do the on-body injector and you're, you get around that. But it's a brand new product and we've got biosimilars Introduced. I think we have four biosimilars of pegfulgrastin. So certain payers will say, we're not paying for brand name on body injector Nulasta. You're doing that. And so you, you sometimes you have to make that, that call maybe uh, that you might have to do same day with some of these folks um, because their payer says you're, you're going to have to do the, the biosimilar pegfulgrastin. All right. Well, uh, that is, that is, we're up against it. So uh, 
Ali, final thoughts, final thoughts. I'll give you the final word on this. No, I think the, the final word is, you know, if you're looking at implementation, the first thing, John, you really said it best is, if this is a big discussion on your site because you're looking at OBIs and other biosimilars kind of moving into this with payers, the first thing is to actually really adjudicate this discussion with payers as I, as I had to do at U of A with a lot of our payers and insurance companies. And the second thing to do is really took, take a look at one thing. And I really think this comes from Gene Wetstein, who is the former director at Moffitt Cancer Center. We need pharmacy-based research on this. So I think there's a lot of potential where you know, other organizations, like, for example, HOPA or other organizations can look at this and do some real-world data to evaluate this, because that would be the real kicker. If there's that data that, John, you've subscribed to or ascribed to in this discussion about you have questions, I have questions, this is where there can be a very nice discussion overall based on some of the settings that have been done. But we've also seen some recent data from INOVA, from Utah, and also from Kansas uh, with Zara uh, and her team looking at outcomes in breast cancer and other disease states and have shown no difference in FN. So Zara has done that with breast cancer with her resident, Mike. Uh, we've also seen that uh, being done with Maya at Inova and also with Kyle Kitchen at Utah. So I think this is only a growing discussion, but now we're at the tipping point where pharmacy-based research can really influence the next steps in growth factorization and also FN prophylaxis. All right, Ali McBride, you're the greatest. Uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, we'll leave it there. And until uh, we talk again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.